by C. Otto Hightower for what he is. An unwavering and loyal A hand. A cunt! I think it was all bangers all the time. All bangers all the time. Welcome back to All Bangers, the unofficial House of the Dragon podcast, Game of Thrones House of the Dragon podcast, presented by Vizzy Media. I am your host, Sir Vizzy of House Vizarion, and I smell of dragon. Yo, imagine that. Imagine just fucking smelling of dank, moist dragon. Like, imagine how Danny smelled. Like, now I'm completely fucking ruined. I'm completely ruined. Danny didn't even ride Drogon with a saddle. She was just straight raw dogging. I imagine Amelia Clark just watching that first episode, like, God damn it. Like, you really had to do me like that? Really? All right. Go off then, I guess. Like, maybe John and Dario were into it, right? John more so because he's got the blood of old Valeria in him. And Dario, Dario's probably just a fucking freak. You know, Dario's a freak. Danny was all into that. Anyways, <laughs> uh, my name is uh, Vizzy. Yeah, that's, I guess that's my name, right? Yeah, that's my name. Uh, this is All Bangers Podcast. Welcome. I am 30 years old. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I run a film page on Instagram called at Visualize Cinema. Wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, slide over to Instagram, drop a follow. Slide in my DMs. Say what's up. I'm riding solo today. So this is going to be interesting. I'm recording this on Tuesday after the first episode. And we just learned that House of the Dragon is now the biggest HBO series premiere ever. 9.9 million people watched the first episode. That's just in the United States alone. You guys probably saw that clip that's going viral right now, right? Of the dude standing outside the apartment building in New York City. And you can like look in all the windows and see the lighting. In like about like 60% of the windows and they're all changing at the same time during Dragon's premiere. That's the Game of Thrones effect, baby. Despite what you see online, there, there's, a, there's a very small population of haters that want the show to fail. Right? And they only want the show to fail because of the, the decisions that were made by Dan and Dave in Thrones Season 8. But I think it's safe to say, after seeing the first episode, this is not Dan and Dave. And I'm going to explain why throughout this episode by diving into some of the lore, spoiler-free, of course, and show you how Ryan Condal, how Miguel Sapochnik, and the writers are handling this with the utmost respect for George's writing. But first, you can follow me again on Instagram, at Visualize Cinema, by far the dopest freaking movie account, television account on the gram. Join the VC gang. We go nut-nut every week inside our treehouse. Send a raven in the form of a DM. Let me know you found VC through all bangers and I'll hit you back. We're also on TikTok at Visualize Cinema. I'm not as active over there. Maybe one day. But Instagram is still my favorite platform even though it's fucking, it's absolute shit right now. Instagram is just going so downhill. I'm sure you guys know. You guys feel it every week. Just a fucking awful platform now. But I love IG just because I can interact with followers every day in the DMs. It's my favorite part of, of running the account. I think we have like 154,000 followers over there right now. Something like that. Follow all bangers on TikTok. I'll be posting clips and content over there in the coming week. So you can get on the ground floor over there. We have a big fat goose egg, zero followers over there. So 
you can maybe you can be number one. Depends on how fast you get over there after you're hearing this. I'm still figuring out the Spotify situation. Support's just driving me up a fucking wall. We're also on Google Podcast. We're on YouTube. Just search up Vizzy All Bangers Podcast on YouTube if that's how you choose to listen to the pod. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcast, leave a five-star review. DM me a little screenshot of your review on Instagram, and I'll shoot you a thank you video with my face. Yes, my face. If you've been following me up until now on Instagram, you know that I am anonymous. But if you leave a five-star review, screenshot, slide in my DMs, send that raven, I'll shoot a little video for you. Now, shall we? Three years in the making. Let's get into it. House of the Dragon, season one, episode one, titled Heirs to the Dragon, directed by Miguel Sapochnik. Here's the description. Viserys hosts a tournament to celebrate the birth of his second child. Rhaenyra welcomes her uncle Damon back to the Red Keep. Now we start with the cold open, the first cold open of the series. I thought it was a great decision. Get everybody up to speed, especially the casuals who aren't really into the war. Um, we open with the Great Council of 101 AC held at Harrenhal. And right off the bat, you can tell right away the visual language of the show. It's going to be impressive. But I will say, you know, this is this is actually my first hot take. Jumping it, just just going in, Danny Raw Dog and Drogon style, I guess. Just no protection, hot take right out of the gate. I thought there was something very different about the way the show was shot versus how Thrones was shot. And halfway through the episode, boom, it clicked. It's the aspect ratio, right? So Thrones shot in a one point seven three to one ratio. And House of the Dragon shoots in a two-to-one ratio. I had to look it up on IMDb. Now, for those of you who are like, okay, what the fuck is he talking about? Basically, Game of Thrones, the screen real estate, the frame was taller. So you nearly had no black bars on top and bottom. But with House of the Dragon, the screen real estate is slimmer. And I was wondering why we, were, we weren't getting a lot of close-ups on actors' faces. And this is probably why. The show is shot more wide than it is full. And that could very well be a creative choice for the timeline, right? To distinguish the timelines. Uh, if you think about a show like Westworld, they change aspect ratios all the time to let you know we're either in the past, we're either in a simulation, or we're either in the present. So if we're like in a simulation, the uh, the aspect ratio ratio will be slimmer. But if we're in reality, the aspect ratio will widen to a more taller uh, frame. So, you know, when we when we age Rhaenyra and age Allison up, we could very well get that full aspect ratio that I personally love. Um, but it's you know it's an interesting it's an interesting aside. I don't love it. I prefer a taller aspect ratio that feels more IMAX. H- HBO is known for shooting in that in that IMAX ratio format. So I hope we see that moving forward. But great decision to open up with the Great Council. We learned that. King Jaehaerys has ruled over the Seven Kingdoms for 60 years, a time of peace, prosperity. But Jaehaerys is all alone. And his two sons, who they don't even mention in the show, but their names are Amon and Balon, they're both dead. Okay, so the show does a great job at moving along fast and putting the pieces in place on the chessboard. But for just, just for context's sake, Jaehaerys' first son... His name is Amon. Now, Amon, uh, Amon was his third son. No, his third child, first son, I believe. 
Yeah, he had to be his first son. So third child, first son of Jaehaerys. He goes down to Tarth, which if you remember, was the um, was the island off of Westeros that Brienne of Tarth was from, if you watch Thrones, the Sapphire Isle. So he goes down to Tarth just to, to fuck around with some pirates, and he gets a bolt through the neck, and he's, he's out of the game. Okay, so Amon gone. Jaehaerys' second son, Balon, actually died while hunting. Very, very Robert Baratheon. That's what George likes to do. In George's world, history doesn't really repeat itself, but it does rhyme. So old Jay's boys, they're got. They're they're done for, right? He doesn't have an heir. So at this great council, what happens is both the Valerians and the Targaryens are vying for the throne. And basically, both sides want to avoid war at all costs. So they convene this great council at Harrenhal to determine who is going to succeed Jaehaerys. So the council takes like 13 days of deliberations. Now, during this council, only the most powerful lords are able to cast a vote to who they think should succeed. And they end up picking Jaehaerys's eldest grandson, Viserys. Which is who's played brilliantly by Patty Considine. I was completely blown away, blown away by his performance this episode. If, if you were to ask me, okay, what was my favorite performance of the Sode? It was Patty's. It was Patty's portrayal of Viserys. So Viserys beat out like nine other contenders, including his cousin Rainey's, played by Eve Best, because it was just it was Jaehaerys who proclaimed that woman could not ascend to the throne, right? Roman woman could not rule the seven kingdoms. Girls count double now, didn't you know? Oh yeah, no, I know, I fucking know. It's only your teats that give you any value. So, you know, it's only your teats. Thank you, Kendall. But we get the title screen. And okay, I think one of the biggest things people were wondering was, okay, what, what's the title sequence gonna be? Would it look like Thrones? Would it sound like Thrones, regardless of what you think about the ending of Thrones? Those opening credits are the most iconic opening credits ever. So I, I was wondering if Vegas had like a, any prop bets on how long the opening credits would be or what, what they would show. And I imagine if they did have those prop bets, a lot of people lost a lot of money on Saturday night or Sunday night. I'm sorry. I got a question from Swap Nilkin on Instagram. He says, I'm underwhelmed by the intro. We went directly to this, to the succession part. So yeah, we just get the Targaryen house sigil. But you know, this is customary of pilots. Not all pilots, but some pilots choose to hold off on their credits until week two. A show that comes to mind is The Leftovers, right? You don't get that uh, brilliant opening credits scene in The Leftovers uh, until episode two. So I bet any money we get one in episode two. And I'm really interested interested to see what they choose and what art direction they go with. I hope they contracted the studio that made throne season eight opening credits because those credits fucking slapped but yeah i agree very underwhelming uh but the good news is we most likely will get that opening sequence next sunday but we get the opening titles it's now the ninth year of king viserys the first targaryen's reign 172 years before the death of the mad king Ares and the birth of his daughter princess daenerys targaryen and holding on that 172 years before Daenerys Targaryen, just a really beautiful nod to Danny and Amelia Clark. 
basically saying, listen, those other guys, they fucked up. We all love Danny. And this is a quick nod to celebrate her life. Just really great stuff by Kondal and Sapochnik uh, there. Just a really good creative choice. And it's choices like that that make me believe they know what they're doing. So, you know, this is a great way to bring in casual show watchers back into the fold, right? And link these two stories together. And they do that at the end of the episode, as we see as well. So we fade in here and we get young Rhaenyra on the back of Cyrax, not Cyrax, Cyrax. And we get this phenomenal shot of her steering Cyrax past the Red Keep over King's Landing over to the Dragon Pit. I can't remember a time where we got an aerial shot of King's Landing that looks better than this. Rhaenyra lands Cyrax, and she's wearing a similar outfit to the one we saw Danny wear when she landed on Dragonstone in Thrones Season 7. I don't know if you caught that. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. Another nice nod to Danny there. Also, the fact that the outfit is black, maybe, you know, foreshadowing what's to come. So... She gives a quick jest to Sir Harold uh, and meets Allison, and we get our first look at Emily Carey's Allison Hightower, who is afraid of dragons, or at least afraid of riding them. TBD. We'll see what's up with that. But the Dragon Keepers direct Cyrax into the Dragon Pit. Interesting, you know, we get to see Dragon Keepers for the first time. We never get to see Dragon Keepers in Thrones, and they speak Valerian, so I'm wondering if they have, like, the blood of old Valeria in them, or maybe they just know the language. And the dragons um, follow their commands because the dragons only only um, respond to High Valerian. But I love how you know they're pulling into the Red Keep at the gate. You know, moving forward here, and like I realized how young this King's Landing really is. Like the Red Keep has this red tint to the stone, but outside the Red Keep, we still see a city that's very much being developed. Like Rhaenyra walking through the castle. In Thrones, um, the stone was more yellowish tinted in orange, which makes sense because the years faded the Targaryen red away from the Red Keep, which makes sense, right? And at the time, there were only two two Targaryens left with uh, Viserys. I forget what number he is, Viserys the Third, Viserys the Fourth. I forget which one, but with Viserys and Danny across the narrow sea, so that symbolism is definitely there um, with the fading away of the red from the stone. Uh, here it had more of a dark orange, almost like red tint to that stone, which is really cool. And the castle was like actually bustling with people. I recognized that right away. I was like, oh, cool. Like under the Lannister rule, the castle felt very empty. There was no life inside those walls, even under King Robert's reign. But especially under like Joffrey and Tommen's reign, there was fucking nobody in those castles. It was bare. Like, like it was just like, hello, anybody, is anybody, is anybody alive out there? Hello. Can anybody hear me? You know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, like it's, it's, I, I, I can't even, it's just something I noticed right away. But, you know, we are in a time of peace. And Viserys is a peacetime king. This dude hates conflict and he does whatever he can uh, to avoid conflict at all costs, as we will see throughout the episode, where, you know, Viserys doesn't like making dis- decisions right? He's kind of a pushover. Like, he defers decisions to his council. I mean, you know, he never wanted to be king in the first place. You kind of see that on his face at the Great Council. He's like, oh, fuck, all right, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, like, they don't mention it at the Great Council, but that he never wanted the throne. But Viserys won in such a landslide that nobody could contest that vote. 
and that's what they don't like tell you on the show at least in the uh in the cold open but i had somebody on instagram ask me if the great council was rigged and i think it's a great question like we didn't see the ballots being cast or counted and i think it's still a debate to this day about like what happened at the great council but all i'll say is you know if you look at history uh I think Stalin said this, where he said something like, power doesn't lie with the voters. It lies with the people who count the votes. So could it have been rigged by the maesters? Absolutely. Like if you think about, if you think about like the Bene Gesserit in Dune, okay, they place people in power and furthered their own designs and shaped the world over centuries, crossing bloodlines to bring about that, you know, one prophetic individual that will stop a coming war and save a universe. So there's there's this theory in the fandom that believes that the maesters plot against the natural order of events that unfold to conspire against House Targaryen. Because we have to remember, the Targaryens weren't born in Westeros. The Targaryens fled Valyria. They came to Westeros, and Aegon I, Aegon the Conqueror, saw, saw all these countries and houses, and they were just separated, and they, you know, they weren't like under one rule. He brought them under one rule. Like the, the Targaryens are outsiders, the Maesters are Westerosi, so the theory does make sense that the Maesters are conspiring against House Targaryen even long before the Great Council. Like I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but I'll just say that. There's some shady shit going on with the Maesters, and this is going to be interesting when we get to uh, Queen Emma's death, right? And this is the genius behind George R. R. Martin's writing. He leaves everything up for interpretation with how he writes. Everything is up for speculation and debate, and it's just great to see right off of the bat, Ryan Connell and Sapochnik, they give these subtle hints to this lore that you know may, casuals, they, they will not recognize in the show. Like, it'll go completely over the heads. But book readers can totally appreciate what they're doing. Like, it could even be a look from a maester. Like, oh, shit, I wonder what's going on there. I wonder what's really going on, right? But we cut to Rhaenyra and Emma's conversation. Emma's laid up, ready for labor, ready to pop any day now. And the production design here was was shot very well. It felt very Victorian, right, with the window panes and the curtains, just the way it was lit. Felt like very Yorgos Lanthimos, the favorite, if you've ever seen that movie. But Rhaenyra says, here you are, surrounded by attendants, all focused on the babe, right? Somebody has to attend to you. Now, on a rewatch, I thought this line was very, very foreshadowing. And let me just say real quick, you know, we know the story is adapted from Fire and Blood. But for those who haven't read Fire and Blood, that book... Fire and Blood isn't written like your normal novel. It's it's more of a history book with a with very little dialogue in it. It's more of an account of the histories of the Targaryens from a few sources, some more reliable or unreliable than others, which gives Condal and the writers great flexibility on how they choose to adapt that book, which is really cool. But what I'm getting at here is I'm very impressed by the writing and the dialogue of this first episode because of the fact that Fire and Blood doesn't really have much dialogue on the page. So the writers, this shows that the writers really did their homework. They probably read a Song of Ice and Fire series. They probably read Old Throne scripts. 
not the ones from season five onwards, the ones that George oversaw from season one to season four. They studied the language of the world and they really fucking nailed it. So I'm very, very impressed and that's great news moving forward. But Emma goes on to say that this discomfort is how we serve the realm to which Rhaenyra replies, I'd rather serve as a knight and ride into battle and glory. Subtle nod to Arya, maybe, maybe not. But again, you know, we're still world building here. With every line, we are learning more about how or uh, more about who this young princess is. Like she's a she's a rebel. She's a little rebel. Emma refers to her and Rhaenyra's womb as royal wombs. Again, foreshadowing here. Once a queen goes into labor, her womb does not belong to her anymore. <laughs> like it belongs to the realm especially if you haven't popped out a male heir yet. If there's a 50-50 chance the realm can produce an heir, that realm wants the baby at any cost, right? So before she finishes, I'm going to throw some shade at Rhaenyra saying she stinks of dragon. This is like where we get that opening line that I talked about. And I thought, damn, you know, like, like Danny must have reeked a dragon too because she didn't even have a saddle. Like she went full raw dog, Maybe John and Targo into it. John more so, you know, since, you know, our boy's a Targ. But yeah, no, I, I don't want to think about Danny like that. You need, need, to, need to keep Danny pure in my mind. For my, yeah, I just I can't. <laughs> um, we get Viserys entertaining the small council in his chambers. I don't know if he, they call it the small council at this point in history. I'm just going to call it the small council for this podcast episode, at least. Um, we meet Corliss Valerion master of ships and he's talking about Kragus Crabfeeder who we saw in the trailer he's the dude that, with the deformed face has a mask on looks like he has grayscale right uh Rhaenyra pops in we get to see the dynamic between Viserys and Rhaenyra for the first time you can tell he really loves his daughter gives a whiff calls her out on her bullshit like y'all you fucking you stank a dragon girl but you know you have to think that Viserys knows his daughter enough by now to know she doesn't like to follow the rules, right? Damon's a no-show to the council meeting. We'll see. We'll see, dude, in just a minute. But before we get to that, you know, we have a back and forth between Otto and and Corliss. Um, and Corliss is his nickname is the Sea Snake, and he's Lord of Driftmark, which is uh, I believe is an island again right off of Westeros. It's right next to uh, Dragonstone. They're very close. But quick back uh, backstory on these houses. House Hightower, so Otto Hightower is of House Hightower. House Hightower was the richest house in Westeros before the Valerians came over to Westeros with the Targs. So Corliss, Corliss is just that dude, bro. Like he's going to be my favorite character on the show. Everybody's like, Damon, 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 episode one. You have not seen Corliss Valerian in action yet. This dude is fucking savage. Okay. But he made House Valerian what it is today. He became a sea captain at age 16, voyaged like every corner of the world, plundering, taking riches for his house. So the Valerians are even more wealthy than the, than the Targaryens. The Valerians had the coin, the Targaryens had the dragons, making them a really formidable alliance against anybody who dares to contest them. So Otto basically says, you know, well, let me back up. First, Corliss is talking about Kragus Crabfeeder and the uh, Triarchy and how they're, you know, they're, they're fucking up the pirates off the coast and, and fucking up the trade routes. 
And Otto basically comes in. He's like, you know, again, with that backstory of how Falerion's basically unseated the high towers as the richest family in Westeros. Otto's basically like, yeah, bro, we hear you. Right. It's if it's an urgent matter, we'll address it. But right now we have attorney to prepare. But we hear you. Right. We hear you. I just want to make sure you know that we hear you. Otto's fucking petty, man. Otto is, you know, his house is still powerful. But he basically went from like the the high towers basically went from like the one seed down to like the three seed in Westeros family hierarchy when the Targaryens and Valerians came over. So Viserys mentions before the tourney is over. Uh, his son will be born and they will have even more of a reason to celebrate. He's certain it's a boy. He, he just he just knows it's a boy, right? And we learn why he's so certain it's a male heir when he describes his dream to Emma, which is, or Emma, which is, uh, uh, I can't wait to get to that part. But Sir Harold escorts Rhaenyra to the throne room. Harold's taken aback when he sees Damon posted up on the throne. Rhaenyra's like, yo, Sir Harold, you know, it's all good. He, it's just my fuck-up uncle. And, you know, we get our first lines of High Valerian here, which is very, very cool. It's great to hear that back in the show again. Damon says, this could very well be my chair one day. And we immediately get this, like, sly rapport between Rhaenyra and her uncle. Damon's like that, Damon's like that cool uncle that travels for work or, like, lives far away but comes back home for a family gathering, like, once every year. And you just, you just hit it off with him because he's such cool shit. Like... That's Damon. Damon's the cool uncle. But it's almost as if, like, at least from what I gathered from the scene, it's almost as if, like, Rhaenyra kind of, like, looks down on him. Like, yeah, bro, like, you're family, but you're still a fuck-up. Like, you never come to court. You're, you're constantly fucking up. But you are blood, and the blood of the dragon runs thick, right? Matt Smith and Millie Alcock, they nailed their high Valerian. It's dope to hear it uh, again in the show. You know, we never really hear Danny speak High Valerian to another person. I don't even think she spoke it to Masande. Like, yeah, like I, I don't even think she spoke it to Masande. Masande! Thank you, Grey Worm. Um, yeah, I think she only spoke it to her dragons, which obviously, you know, can't talk back. So this is a first in the show, I think. But uh, Damon brings Rhaenyra a gift in the form of a Valerian steel necklace. And I think there's uh, some subtle sexual tension here when he tells Rhaenyra to turn around and places the necklace on her. So yeah, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, as we know, you know, Targaryens, you know, um, you know, have sex with each other and like marry each other and have kids and, you know, incest and incest and everything. And we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit, but you know, we're out in the Godswood now and this is interesting. I didn't know that the godswoods grew in the south like we've never seen a godswood this far south in game of thrones before usually they're it's a northern t tradition i believe but maybe the targaryens came to westeros they placed this this godswood here this tree uh just out of respect for the continent like they conquered not too sure but allison is sort of feeling rainier out here in this scene trying to get a read on her um trying to get a read on like how Rhaenyra is feeling. I would assume she she's probably doing it to report back to Otto. We see we see Otto ask her later how Rhaenyra is doing after what happens to Emma and, and like the air for a day as Damon mocked or or did he, you know, we'll talk about that. But Rhaenyra says 
All she wants to see is the world with Allison on Dragonback. Allison doubles down, realizes how difficult Rhaenyra can be, probably thinking about the earful she's going to get from Otto if she doesn't bring him information that helps him further his plotting, his scheming. Otto's just a fucking punk, man. I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> but I love how Reese Fonz plays him. Very powerful performance. I'm looking forward to more of him. So Rhaenyra schools Allison on the lesson that Allison is trying to give to Rhaenyra. And she rips the page out. She's like, fuck the Septa. And again, you know, this is great character building. Not only is Rhaenyra a little badass, but she's also incredibly smart, too. But we cut to Viserys inside the Red Keep, and my guy has this gnarly-looking infection on his back, like, pus and all. Like, it looks like a freaking Jigsaw puzzle piece. Like, if you've ever seen the Saw series, like the movies, you know how Jigsaw likes to cut out a piece of flesh in the form of, like, a Jigsaw puzzle as, like, a memento for every victim of his? Like, it's, it's kind of, it looks kind of like that. But I love, how, I love how Viserys is like, it's getting smaller, yes? And the Mace is like, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, totally. <laughs> totally like <laughs> one maester looks at the other i think it's like his like uh prodigy like looks at the other maester and is like dude this dude's fucked <laughs> like and yeah he said viserys says it's a small cut from sitting the throne he's like it's nothing it's nothing so i got a question from hassan on instagram he asked thoughts on viserys cutting his hand on the throne seems significant to me yeah so the throne cuts kings who aren't worthy of it. At least that's like, that's the, um, that's the saying, I guess. The, the maester has a chat with Otto about Viserys' condition. I forget this maester's name. I think it's Malin, I think. But you can see how, how the costume team like chose to dress this maester with like these hats, right? I don't know what you call them, but they just look suspicious. We didn't see that in Thrones. So I think that's a, I think that's a really great choice by the costume department to influence how we look at these maesters in these times of Targaryen rule. Uh, moving forward here, next we get, what do we get? We get Viserys and Emma with Emma in the bath. Now, if you didn't know this, and I think I'm right about this, I've, I, I haven't read Fire and Blood in a minute. It's, it's honestly been like two or three years since I read Fire and Blood. When, I, when the show was announced... I made it a choice not to read it because I wanted to go in as fresh as possible, but I still remember a lot of the war. But I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, DM me on Instagram and let me know, but I believe Emma is actually Viserys' cousin. So again, Rhaenyra was born out of incest. Okay, this is where we get to the incest part. Rhaenyra was born out of incest. Viserys and Daemon are actually born out of incest as well. King Jaehaerys the dude you saw in the opening at the Great Council, his son, Balon, one of the two sons that died, and his daughter, Alyssa, he had, he had, he had two daughters, Alyssa and I forget the other one, oh, oh, oh Danies, Alyssa and Danies. Balon and, and Alyssa had, they got married and they had Viserys and Daemon. So some full-on brother-sister fucking right there. So... Viserys and Daemon born straight from incest, like brother-sister incest. But, I mean, you can imagine, or how do I want to say this? You can see how loving Viserys is, even though we learn all Emma has given Viserys up to this point is like five miscarriages, right? And, and here's where I think the episode really kicks into high gear. Like Viserys talks about, he talks about this dream. And this is where it gets really spicy. So there's this prophecy 
set by Aegon I, the first Targaryen king, Aegon the Conqueror. This prophecy was passed down from king to heir, as we we learn at the end of the episode. But this prophecy, yeah, from king to heir, passed down for generations. Think of this prophecy like like Area 51, like do aliens exist type of secret that presidents get access to when they become president. So this prophetic knowledge was a dream that Aegon had where he dreamed of a winter that lasted for like generations that would consume Westeros. So the ancient text, again, as we learn in the end of, at the end of the episode when when, Vers- when Viserys talks to Rhaenyra and tells Rhaenyra about this prophecy, the ancient texts tell or the ancient texts say that Aegon came to Westeros to conquer. But that wasn't entirely true. Aegon believed he had this dream because he believed he was chosen to defeat this long night, defeat this evil. So the Targaryens landed on Dragonstone and Aegon set out on his campaign to not necessarily conquer Westeros, but to unite all of the great houses of Westeros together to uh, to fight against this coming evil. So, you know, what is fact? What is fiction? Again, it's really up for interpretation, but this was the prophecy. And, you know, we hear the same prophecy in Game of Thrones when Ned's like, you know, winter is coming. So these these dreams that Targaryens have, they're called dragon dreams. Now, Danny has one of these dragon dreams when she's about to give birth to Drogo's son in Thrones season one. Now, if you've seen Thrones and you remember Danny's dragon dream, you know that none of what she dreamed about comes true. And that's the thing with Targaryen and dragon dreams, man. Like more often than not, they misinterpret them. So Targaryens misinterpret their own dreams and they act on these misinterpretations, thinking they're going to fulfill whatever vision they have in the dream. But what actually ends up happening is they actually, their actions are more of like a catalyst that sets off a chain of events that ultimately leads to that vision they had in the dream being fulfilled like hundreds of years later. So here we are, we have Viserys, and he's saying, yo, babe, like, I got this dream. I've never been more certain of anything. It was clearer than a memory. Like, our son was born wearing Aegon's iron crown. I heard the sound of splintering shields and ringing swords. You know, could Viserys actually be seeing the long night at Winterfell? Uh, thundering hooves, I think he says. That could be like the Dothraki, like Danny's Dothraki. Um, I, think he say, I think he says, like, I hear the bells of the great sept ringing. Those could be the bells that we hear in Thrones Season 8 when Danny comes to King's Landing and, and fucks shit up. But, yeah, could he, he, he's, could he totally be misinterpreting this dream? Could he be seeing Danny? Or could he be seeing John, right? He says, I placed our son upon the Iron Throne. Was Viserys seeing John? He mentioned Aegon's crown. Was he actually seeing John, who we know now as Aegon the Fourth, I think. I think he's the fourth. Right? Was he seeing Aegon, John? Or was he seeing Daenerys? You know, all the dragons roared as one. This could be the dance. Right? And and all Emma could think about was, oh shit, like this child's gonna be born wearing a crown. Again, foreshadowing. It's great writing. It's great writing. Foreshadowing of what's to come. Think about giving birth to a baby with a crown on. Yeah. Not good. Not good. So 
she Emma failed to produce an heir for Viserys up to this point. Two stillborns, two miscarriages, lost a babe in the cradle, she says. Now here's what I thought about. This could be the work, or hmm, how do I put this? Let me, let, me, let me phrase this in the form of a question. Is this the work of the gods fighting each other over who they think should be born and become heir? Or the maesters are behind all of this because they want to end the line of Targaryens, right? The maesters are in charge of all the births. So if they don't want somebody on the throne, a baby on the throne, maybe they want to place Damon as king on the throne because Damon is unhinged. And Damon could be the downfall of the entire house, fulfilling the maester and the citadel's goal to rid Westeros of the Targaryens. Maybe they believe Damon is like Danny, like she's gonna bring down the entire fucking house because she's crazy or he's crazy. I mean, we full out see a maester climb on top of Emma and just slice her the fuck open, right? If the baby lived, they could have easily dealt with it in the cradle, like. The other child who didn't survive, right? One babe died in the cradle. And they could have just, and they just got rid of Viserys' wife, who was pure blood Targaryen, basically ending his line. So it's like a two for one thing. But the problem is, Targaryens have these dreams and they try to fit prophecy into their own narrative. And this dream Viserys has could very well set off the Dance of the Dragons. Just some food for thought. But we cut to Damon giving his boys a pep talk in the town square. This looks like Flea Bottom, I guess. Vastly nicer version of Flea Bottom. Remember Flea Bottom and Thrones? Like the mud in the streets was like actually shit. Like we actually see this version with like cobblestone streets and like and, like shops and everything. It's pretty interesting. But the gold cloaks you saw in Thrones, basically Damon was the founder of the gold cloaks. He like founded the City Watch. Like they do their thing. They, you know. They're flogging rapists out there, or they're just like saying, hey, that guy's a rapist. And they just chop his dick off, chopping heads off, ripping dicks off. Like, we even get a bit of humor where the dude's like, one of the dudes, like, whose dick they like, or balls they chopped off, like, he just like pinches off like a wet fart before he, he gets got. Some like Westerosi humor there. But um, yeah, back inside the small council, Damon is brought before the king to answer for what he and his boys did. And, you know, Otto and Damon have a back and forth. Otto, not a fan of Damon. Like, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but like, are you feeling a bit of like repressed gay vibes from Otto? Like, is our boy gay? I don't even want to say our boy. I fucking, like, again, like, I hate Otto. But like, is our boy gay for Damon? Like, Damon is everything Otto isn't. Like, I, I can totally see Otto just going back to his chambers, trying to sleep, <laughs> but he just can't. Because he just can't get Damon out of his head and he just fucking cranks all over the ivory sheets. Damon just like living rent free in Otto's head. Maybe his heart. I didn't feel that way in the page in the books, but maybe the show adds another dimension to their backstory. Right? But I love Matt Smith's performance here when he says, understood your grace. I got this question from Tom Whiteman on Instagram. Tom, thanks for the question, bro. He asked, does Damon actually care about his family or is he putting on a show? Is it like all a ruse? I think both, um, right? These characters aren't black and white. Damon definitely loves his family and he loves his brother. And that smirk at the end when he's like understood your grace, he gives that smirk at the end when Viserys, you know, lets him still hold control of the city watch. Um, that, that smirk was just like, yeah, yeah, bitch. My brother's got my back. Eat this ass, Otto. 
I was like, oh God, yes. Where, when, now, here? Yes. You think Otto would be down? I think Otto would be down. <laughs> I mean, he just lost his wife. He's getting no action in the chamber, so who knows? But cut to the brothel, and we get Damon just fucking blowing Masarius back out. Right? But then my boy stops mid-thrust. Apparently, he's worried. He's pushed Viserys to the point of removing him as commander of the City Watch, or maybe he just has ED. I have no idea. That's TBD. I guess we'll, we'll learn more about that moving forward. But Masari is interesting. You know, we only got a few scenes of her, but she has a, an important role in the game. I got to say, man, like, I don't think... Uh, what's the actress's name? Um, I forget. She's in Dev. She's in Ex Machina. Sonoya Mizuno. I'm not the biggest fan of her. I thought her line reading was pretty so-so. Um, I didn't think she was all that great in Devs. I'm sorry, but not really. Um, but, you know, the jury's still out on her. She only had two scenes. She had very little dialogue. We could see some powerful stuff from her moving forward. But, you know, she's just crushing the role as, like, a prost. And, you know, we love prost on, on All Bangers. Like, this is a pro-sex work podcast. Like, All Bangers. You think about, like, All Bangers, a pro-sex work podcast. Like, I think that's I think that has a nice ring to it. Nice. Yeah, but we jump ahead to the tourney here. You know, Viserys, he gives his opening speech as Viserys, uh, Viserys, as Rhaenyra, fashionably late, as always. We even see young Lena and Lenor Valerian here sitting in front of their parents, Corlys and Rhaenys, and, oh, good news, guys, Queen Anma has begun her labors. Gods be good, right? Gods be good. Uh, we get the sick shot, the sick shot. I've never seen this done before. I've, like, like a POV of, like, Sir Kristen Cole on horseback with the camera mounted above the horse, just fucking going full steam ahead. Fucking insane shot. That is so sick. I've never seen that before. Kristen wastes this Baratheon ute, and, like, Rhaenyra asks Sir Harold what he knows about this Sir Kristen Cole. And then we get Damon rolling up with his crew. Damon's got a fucking height boy. <laughs> like, what? I guess, you know, Damon rolls deep, bro. He can roll deep because he's got the entire watch at his back. But, of course... Uncle D, for his first, uh, like, competitor, I guess you can call him, Uncle D chooses Otto Hightower's son, Sir Gwen. Like, guy had to know it was coming, right? Nah, he won't pick me. Nah, no way. Oh, motherfucker, right? He's like, yeah, that's my ass, I guess. I, I guess I'm going down in all my glory, right? But Damon gives Otto a glance, like, yo, watch what I'm about to do to your boy, <laughs> right? And Gwen, but Gwen strikes the first blow. So Damon comes back around and just wrecks his shit, man. Like, he plays dirty, goes for the horse instead of the knight. Pure Damon. Like, I, I guess this is probably why, one of the reasons why people love Damon right out of the gate. And I don't blame him, man. Damon doesn't play by the rules. But uh, the dude sticks his lance out. And Allison, I, I guess the dude I'm referring to is Damon here. Damon sticks his lance out. And Allison reads his lance with a clear, like, innuendo and physical symbolism of like shaft and maidenhead so i don't know man like i felt like some of the tension between allison and damon here was was interesting like like did damon take allison's virginity was it like yeah he like he talked me into it was it like a yeah like yeah he talked me into it kind of thing like before allison puts the wreath on on damon's lance she looks over to renair like almost like to make sure she's like okay with it so really interesting stuff looking forward to see how that develops because I did not get that from the book. So again, another interesting development from the writers and I really like it. You think you think Otto has it out for Allison because Damon 
had sex with Allison. Like, do you think do you think Otto knows about that? That's interesting to think about. The crowd cheers, and, and Viserys receives word that something's wrong with Emma's labor. And this is where it gets very brutal, and this gets, it gets really tough to watch. Fade into Emma, like, screaming bloody murder, right? The maester says, all attempts to fail to get the baby out, uh, all attempts to, to get the baby out have failed, right? The baby's breached. If you don't know what that means, uh, when a baby is breached, it just means the feet have come out first, so they have to perform an emergency C-section, to uh to get the baby out and let me just say that this actress that plays emma uh her name is cyan brooke that must have been a really hard day of shooting for her but she really turned in an amazing performance uh really emotional i think she honestly stole the episode uh she came she went and she did her job and i'm sure she's gonna get a lot of work moving forward off of this but quick cut back to the tourney we get the infamous tilt between daemon and sir Kristen. First pass, Sir Kristen strikes first, just wrecks Damon's shit. We see Rhaenyra clutching at her Valerian necklace that Uncle Damon gave her. And I never realized this, but when you, I never realized this. Like when you joust, the first one around the bend has the upper hand because you have to think the first dude around the bend to end up on the other side has to come, is coming out with all the momentum. Whereas like you start, when you start, like you're starting on both on equal ground, right? So I didn't realize this about the jousting world. <laughs> like, shout out to all my jousters out there. Hey, if you joust, send me a raven at Visualize Cinema on Instagram. I want to hear about the all about the jousting world, for sure. But yeah, man, like this birth scene is just disturbing and and even creepy. Like, okay, the maester tells Viserys he needs to make an impossible choice. But seeing how Amma has failed to produce an heir five times prior knowing there's a chance to save the baby and with Viserys being absolutely certain it's a boy, you know he's going to choose the child without even realizing he's about to attempt, about to attempt, about to perform murder. Like, he's so blinded by prophecy at this point. Like, he doesn't even realize he's going to flat out murder. Oh, that was my Boston accent coming out of that murder. <laughs> he's going to flat out murder uh, Emma. But that's what this is, man. This is this is murder. Like, Viserys didn't even ask her what she wanted to do. But it's like what Emma said earlier. Like, we, we have royal wombs. When a decision has to be made between a potential heir and the mother, they're always going to choose the baby. They're always going to want the baby. It reminds me a lot of what Varys said in Game of Thrones when he tells Tyrion, everything I do, I do for the good of the realm. I will never betray the people. Yeah, just real brutal shit, man. Like, when it comes to the maesters, you may be the mother, but this womb, yeah, it's not your womb anymore. Okay, it's prophecy. Viserys says, I love you. As the maesters climb on the bed and Emma realizes something's about to go down. And this, this shit was fucking brutal to watch. She takes one look at the blade, fucking screams because she knows it's over. And it's interesting because she told Viserys this was the last time, right? She was like, this is the last time I'm ever going through with this. I failed you five times in 10 years. But this was a great idea from Sipochnik to cross cut between the brutality on the tourney with the brutality of the childbirth. And it goes back to what Emma said earlier to Rhaenyra when she said, giving, giving birth is a woman's battlefield. 
cut to an actual battlefield where men are slicing each other open while Emma is being murdered, we get the infamous Damon v. Kristen tourney fight where Sir Kristen bests Damon and his dark sister, his sword. As Rhaenyra says, and the day grows ugly. I w- oh, I said, did I say Rhaenyra? Rainies. Uh, as Rainies, the queen who never was, says, and the day grows ugly. And I love Rainies here. I can't wait to get more from her. She's got like this wit to her that I really dig. And I think Eve Best is just stunning. So shout out to Eve Best. Um, Rhaenyra gives Sir Kristen her favor. I'm sure we'll see more of them next episode as we cut back to the maester congratulating Viserys on his new heir, a healthy baby boy, or so we thought, right? We hear faint coughs or, or like choking, like choking for air. Interesting. We'll get to that in a minute. But Otto returns to the tourney to tell Corlys and the rest of the small council that Emma has died in childbirth. And Viserys names the baby Balon. And Balon was actually Viserys' uncle's name. And usually tragedies happen to Targaryens named Balon. Then we get the first choke of the baby like it can't breathe. And the maester gives this weird look like, like, I don't know, man. Like, I watched this scene like five times. So we cut from Rhaenyra like wishing Sir Kristen good luck. Uh, to what I think is the shot of the episode, right? Which is the overhead shot of like Emma, like dead on the bed. What a beautiful, haunting shot. And Viserys is like by the bedside, like on his knees, like completely just like in disarray. Now watch this scene back like a fu- like a few times because I was curious why the baby just straight out stopped breathing all of a sudden, right? We see the maester walk into frame holding the baby and congratulating Viserys on the birth of his new son. My question is, okay, what happened before the maester walked into frame? Like, I'm sure they were cleaning up the baby, but this is this is my first crackpot theory that falls in line with the maester conspiracy. Okay? If all previous attempts of the maesters to keep Emma from giving birth were successful... And they used this opportunity to use the baby breach as an excuse to murder Emma on her on the bed, get the baby out, and then while Viserys grieves at the foot of the bed, off camera, slips something into the baby's mouth to poison it. It's really dark and brutal to think about. Right? And then, and then my man presents the baby to Viserys just before it starts choking for air. Listen, I'm not saying it happened. I'm just saying Emma had Rhaenyra and then for 10 years she had a babe die in the crib, die in the cradle. I believe it was a boy. She had two stillborns and two premature births where the babies didn't survive. What I'm saying is that could have all been the maesters. All I'm saying, it's not confirmed nor is it in the books explicitly. But the maester conspiracy is a real conspiracy and it does carry weight. And there are just too many coincidences, man. Like, this is this is one of them. Where the Macers had the opportunity to take both Queen and Air out in one fell swoop. Right? Because that look at the end. Listen, Thrones does this shit. You think it's one thing, but it's actually much deeper. 
Like it's already got my head spinning. But that's my crackpot theory. I haven't heard anybody discuss it yet, anybody talk about it. You heard it here first on All Bangers. But we cut to Emma's funeral. The first official Targaryen funeral we've ever seen in Westeros. Um, like the Night's Watch, they cremate their dead. And this is important right here. Like Daemon approaches Rhaenyra and you can see the grief and sadness on his face. Even though his, his claim to the throne is now like legitimately solidified, at least for now, with no heir to contest him, he's still sad for his brother and his niece. Remember, we're, they're presenting Daemon as almost like a villain in a way, up till this point, I should say. But seeing the sadness on his face is just like, you really do see Daemon have this genuine love and affection for his family. And again, this is very important. I want you to remember this, this moment when we uh, hit the throne room scene. But Millie's performance here was outstanding. I will, I will never be the son, she says, to Daemon. And all she wants is her father's approval. It's very much like, it's very Tyrion Tywin. Like if you think back to Thrones, how, how Tyrion always fought for Tywin's approval, but he never got it. That, that's what that reminds me of. She struggles to get out Jakaris the first time. She gives Viserys a look. Like, do I have to really fucking do this? <laughs> like, like, Dad, can, can you do it? Please, Dad. But then she turns, and we get the first Dracaris in the show. And I might have fallen in love. Dracaris. Yeah, just, I think she said, says it way better than Danny, And it makes sense, because Danny's Valerian is kind of broken. Um, up to that point, there's, like, there's nobody in the world that speaks high Valerian. Pretty much, I think. Um... But you can imagine that, you know, 200 years earlier, the Valyrian was spoken day to day between Targaryens. So their Valyrian actually feels more authentic. And I really love how Millie says, Dracaris. Like, I think it's, I think it's super sexy. So Cyrex still got the saddle on. Uh, so we can assume that Rhaenyra flew her to the funeral to sit on the cliffs and will probably fly her, fly off on her and, go take a long ride in the skies. But this scene was framed the same way as the scene in Thrones where Danny flamed Randall and Dickon Tarly. Don't know if you guys picked up on that, but yeah, very interesting. Uh, moving forward, that night, the small council convenes for a meeting. Well, it's really Otto that calls this meeting, right? And the first thing Viserys asks when he sits down, he's like, where's Rhaenyra? And this is another small detail that I think is worth noting. Viserys always wants Rhaenyra by his side at his small council meetings uh, or any meetings that are, that are called. Just because she's a girl doesn't mean she can't learn how the Lords of Westeros run shit. I mean, you have to think Otto himself called this meeting, right? This is Otto's opportunity to enter the game. And we'll see how in just a second, right? We hear the maester say, if Daemon becomes king, he could destabilize the realm. Again, remember, when I mentioned the Maester Conspiracy, they say one thing, perhaps they think differently, right? It's like reverse psychology. But they play the game as well as anybody else. The Maesters say, should the gods give us uh, another tragedy, either by design or accident? Again, the Maesters are proxy for the gods. So if, if it's by design, it's not the gods' design, but rather the Maesters' design. And they just use the gods, they use the gods as a means to justify it, right? It's not different from anything we see today in our own world. But we get Corliss coming in, my boy Corliss. I rides for my man Corliss. 
and he rides for Damon. But Otto wants to send Damon away. But Viserys sticks up for his bro. He says Damon is ambitious, but he doesn't want the throne. He lacks the patience. And then we get Damon just like, like looking in, just like listening, giving a little smirk. And then Otto replies, gods have yet to make a man who lacks the patience for absolute power, your grace. But was Otto talking about Damon? Was Otto talking about himself? Got, you got to think that Otto is just re, like reveling in this moment here, right? The guy just gets off on this shit. And he maybe gets off on Damon. But Otto plays the game like the Macers just as well as anybody else, if not better than everybody. Like he's really, really manipulative. And he says Damon would be a, like a second Magor. Now, for those of you who don't know, Magor was the third Targaryen king to sit the Iron Throne. They mentioned him numerous times in Game of Thrones. Uh, the guy was just a piece of shit. <laughs> like, he just executed and tortured for sport. But Viserys says, I would not be made to choose between my brother and my daughter. Corlys slides in like, yeah, okay, that's fine. There's another, you know, your cousin, my wife, Rhaenys. She had a strong claim to the throne. Like, she's the only other living grandchild of Jaehaerys. She already has a male heir in Laenor. Harman Strong's like, bitch, please, like, and break 100 years of tradition? Fuck out of here with that bullshit. Otto checks him, like, moments ago, you just announced your support for Damon. Otto's like, Otto's like Tywin Lannister, okay? He's, he's like Tywin, but he's not like Tywin. In as much as Otto loves to talk over people, but he doesn't get the last word in. But Tywin is known for letting people speak and then getting the last word. That's where the that's where the difference is. I'm a huge fan of Tywin, but I, oh, Otto. But Patty Considine just comes in with some incredible acting here and actually drops a line from A Song of Ice and Fire, Feast for Crows, which I thought was a great wink, like nod, nod, wink, wink to uh, the book readers. Uh, I think he says something to the effect of like, I will not uh, sit here while something, something feasts on crows and that's, that's a line ripped straight from A Song of Ice and Fire. So I thought that was, that was really cool. We cut to Otto writing a letter to Old Town. He's in his chambers writing a scroll to send my raven to Old Town to tell them about what happened to Emma. And you know he's going to keep it hush-hush. I mean, Otto, Otto, I mean, if you think about it, Otto wasn't in the room. At least we didn't see Otto in the room. So I don't know if he knows that Viserys ordered, basically ordered Emma's murder just to get the baby out. I mean, that's not how Viserys looks at it. I'm sure I'm sure it's what he feels inside, but he won't admit that out in the open. This is what Thrones does so great, man. Nothing is black and white. In order to gain something, you must lose something. You must make impossible choices. And when Targaryen kings believe in prophecy so much that they try to force square pegs into round holes... That's when you get terrible shit happening. So Allison comes in, and the first thing Otto says is, how's Rhaenyra doing? And I thought, I thought this was very telling of what Otto plans to do next. Like, he's so blinded by his own ambitions and, and greed, he can't even ask his own daughter how she's doing. He, like, skips over her, his daughter because he needs to get a read on how Rhaenyra is doing so he can stay a few steps ahead of everybody else. How does he do this? Well, how about pimp out your own daughter? And you, you can see Allison's like, whoa, what? 
Allison's smart enough to know what he means when Otto says, I, I'd like you to visit the, the king in his chambers. Right? He's basically saying, go fuck the king. And then at the end, he's like, oh, by the way, wear your dead mother's dress. Crazy. But I, I love how Allison bites her nails. I think that's a really great character choice on the part of uh, the actress. Uh, I think it's Emma Carey. But yeah, phenomenal character choice. She's, she's, she's anxious, right? She does a phenomenal job in this first episode. But in the books and in the lore, Allison is known as a whore. She's known as a whore in the histories, but here we really get to see Allison is a straight-up victim. You sympathize with her. She's caught up in the middle of this. Otto is plotting. Okay. Next, we're in the chambers. Uh, as as Viserys, my boy, uh, he's you know working on the Derek Zoolander Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good Adventure. <laughs> but I mean, in all seriousness, our boy handy with the blade or whatever the fuck you use to to make miniatures. But you know, he's he's carving and he does impressive work. Allison enters and Viserys is like. You know, what are you doing here? And then, you know, Viserys warms up to her. I mean, you have to think that Allison is like a second daughter to Viserys since Allison and Rhaenyra are so close. And I love how we see Allison as, again, as, in, as innocent because that's what she truly is. She's put in the middle of all of this. So I can't wait to see what, what uh, Emily does the next four episodes and then how Olivia takes the reins from her for the rest of the season. So... Yeah, so just great stuff all around from from Allison, uh, the actress. But, you know, back to our favorite pleasure house on the street of Silk. Nowhere near the fine establishment of one Lord Peter Baelish. But the lighting is a mood. You got cheeks getting clapped, cocks getting sucked. Look close enough and you can even see a full-on asshole. Not kidding. Like, that extra was so into... <laughs> that extra was so into it. He was like spread. He spread the cheeks of that chick who was riding him just a little too far, and we get that peekaboo. Like I, I don't think we ever see it in Thrones. Maybe we do. Maybe we do get a peekaboo moment in Thrones too. But listen, you just gotta love the commitment. That's what we like to see from our Thrones extras. Take note if you're ever cast as an extra in a film or a show, think of this guy. But Damon's about to make some some type, some kind of speech, and we cross cut with Otto snitching per huge saying Damon mocked Viserys, Viserys' now dead son, as the heir for a day. And I love how this is directed, man, because we never explicitly know in the books if Damon did or did not say this. I think it was like, I forget the maester who writes the book. I forget, again, forgive me, I forget the name of the maester who's like the author of Fire and Blood. Um, he says one thing. He says Damon did say it, but I think Mushroom comes in. Mushroom is like a court jester. He comes in with a different account. He says, Damon didn't say it. So again, it's all up for interpretation. But, you know, we, we get... So so did Damon say it or did he not say it? Or was it just Otto who just heard something from one of his spies and he just straight up embellishes what Damon said just to, just to banish Damon? And here we get my favorite scene of the episode with Damon summoned to the throne room to meet Viserys, who's sitting on the on the throne with his sword Blackfire, the same Valyrian sword wielded by Aegon the Conqueror over a hundred years ago. Damon doesn't deny that he said heir for a day. He just says, We all mourn in our own way, your grace. Maybe, maybe he did say it, but the tonality 
could have been taken out of context, right? Of course, that context gets lost in translation. When, and when those words are, are with auto, when that translation is now with auto, you know he's going to use it to, as, as an opportunity to gain one over my man, right? But this is a powerful scene, man. Like, Patty really brought it. If, if I had a performance of the week, it's going to be Patty Constantine's King of Viserys I. Like, you can really hear the emotion in his voice. Like, the guy is just heartbroken. He's barely able to make words when he says, then why do you cut me so deeply? There's a deep, genuine affection that Damon and Viserys have for one another. You have no allies but me. I've only ever defended you. He feels slighted and embarrassed. Not to mention he, he's wrestling with his own demons because he knows he just murdered his own wife. And Matt Smith, man, this dude, like he just matches Patty line for line. The writing, oh my God, the writing is just phenomenal in this scene. Otto doesn't protect you. He's a cunt. I would. From what, Viserys says. Yourself, Damon replies. You're weak, Viserys. And Viserys is weak. Like, no king worthy of the Iron Throne would sit the Iron Throne and cry on it. That's not what kings do. But that's what I love about Patty's portrayal of Viserys so much. Like, George R. R. Martin said Patty played a better Viserys than he wrote in Fire and Blood. And this is the scene that sold me on that. The council knows it. They prey on it. You're weak, Viserys. Damon's just dropping truth bomb after truth bomb. So the question I asked earlier about does Damon love his family or is it all just a ruse, this scene right here shows you how much Damon loves his family. He's basically saying, bro, like you kept the same people that served the prior king, Jaehaerys. You should have started with a clean slate. You should have appointed me your hand. And I, I would have looked out for you better, better than any of them. Together, we could have accomplished beyond what people think of you now. Like, bro, I got you. But what the show doesn't show, but what the show doesn't show, but what the, um, the opening uh, scene doesn't show, and it's nothing big, but Damon really does ride for Viserys. Like when the Great Council was convened, Damon was basically like gathering people in the Riverlands saying like, nobody's taking the throne from my brother. And he basically puts together a, like a little rogue army to intimidate the wards and to sway the vote. So, you know, Damon wants Viserys' approval. Just like Rhaenyra wants Viserys' approval. Again, it's like that Tyrion-Tywin dynamic. I feel like that's Damon too. I have decided to name a new heir, Viserys says. I'm your heir. And you can hear the hurt in that line delivery from, from Matt Smith. And it just in Matt Smith's expression. It's like, I'm your heir. Like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Viserys is like, you are to return to Runestone and you do so without quarrel. Man. So Damon dips and you can see how much energy that took out of Viserys as he leans back on the chair and the throne cuts him again. This time, immediately after he sends his brother, the only person who could truly protect him, who would look out for his best interest, he sends him away. And the throne cuts him. A king unworthy of the throne. Boom. Nicked again, right? Down in the crypts, we see Viserys hanging with Balerion's skull. Viserys was the last rider to claim Balerion. Only rode him for one time, the year that uh, the year before Balerion died. 
So technically, Viserys is considered a dragon rider. But he sends for Rhaenyra to meet him down the crypts. He gives her a test. When you look at the dragons, what do you see, he says. I suppose I see us, Rhaenyra replies. We are who we are because of our dragons. Without them, we're just like everyone else. And boom, test passed. Viserys says, a Targaryen must understand this to be king or queen. And cue Ramin Javadi's piano. And this reminds me of some of the most iconic moments that helped create thrones, right? You think of like a Light of the Seven or like the Long Night, those piano pieces that just cut deep. That's what, that's what I thought of when the piano hits and we cut to Rhaenyra's face. She's like shocked. Viserys says he's wasted all his years wanting a son instead of preparing her for succession. Now, is he doing this out of guilt for what he what happened to Emma? We see Alicent dressing Rhaenyra for her name day. We see Corlys pledge his fealty. We see the High Towers pledge their fealty. Damon preps Caraxes in the Dragon Pit. It's the first time we see our boy Caraxes on the show, actually, the Bloodworm. I'm sure Caraxes will be everyone's favorite dragon. I mean, like red dragon, ideal color dragon, right? Like if I had to pick a color for my for my dragon, if I'm if I'm in build a dragon mode on like a video game, I'm going Air Jordans flu game black red combo. Mistaria joins him. He's gonna leave for Dragonstone with Mistaria. We've seen it in the trailers. I mean, Viserys commanded Damon to return home to Runestone with to his bronze bitch, right? Uh. In typical Damon fashion, he disobeys. He takes this slight as the final offense uh, from the king, from his brother. And so he'll head to the Targaryen stronghold of Dragonstone. And if you, if you watch Thrones, this is where Danny sets up her base of operations for her campaign. It's where Aegon landed and built the castle for his campaign. Basically, if you're, if you're going to play the Game of Thrones as a Targaryen, you play it from Dragonstone. It's an island right off the coast of Westeros, just north of King's Landing. Anybody would be a fool to attack it. And this is the part that blew my mind. Got your boy, old Viz, wiping a few tears in the corner of his eyes. Like, I did not expect to cry in this episode. So, as I mentioned earlier, Aegon's dream is passed down from Targaryen king to heir. Just as, and, and, and Viserys says, what does he say? He says, and just as Dany saw the fall of Valyria, Aegon saw the fall of World of Men. It begins with a terrible winter gusting out of the distant north as we cut to Rickon Stark pledging his fealty to Rhaenyra. Chef's kiss on the editing. Oh my God, that editing. And the editing in the entire episode was phenomenal. But when Viserys says uh, gusting out of the distant north and we cut to Rickon Stark, the first time we see a Stark in, in House of the Dragon, super dope, love that. But yeah, the editing in this episode was phenomenal. It moved at a real relentless pace. Very different from Thrones, very different. When this great winter comes, all of Westeros must unite to defend it. When this winter comes, a Targaryen must sit on the Iron Throne, a king or queen strong enough to unite us against the darkness. And then we get Danny's theme kicks in, break, uh, Ramin Javadi's Breaker of Chains, and I fucking lose it. Like, I'm talking like ugly cry. Like, I'm fighting back, like, my tears, and it just makes me look more ugly. But, yeah, like... Very, very powerful, especially if, you, if you've watched Thrones, if, if you love Danny. 
I know I've seen a few reactions on YouTube and I've seen a lot of people get emotional at that moment. It was very, very well executed. Aegon called his dream a song of ice and fire. And Viserys grabs the, the cat's paw dagger, same dagger that Arya came to have to use to destroy this evil during the Long Night episode in season eight. And this was such a beautiful way to link House of the Dragon with Game of Thrones proper. Um, as Viserys pleads, promise me, uh, Rhaenyra, promise me. Just as Lyanna Stark pleaded to Ned in the Tower of Joy on her deathbed, promise me, Ned. Promise me. Again, another great way to link the two shows and to link the Targaryen prophecy from past to present in the books and what we saw in Thrones. Because Jon is a part of that prophecy, right? If you watch Game of Thrones or you've read the books, you know all about R plus L equals J. How history told us that Lyanna Stark was raped by uh, Daenerys' brother Rhaegar. But turns out that was actually all a lie. They actually loved each other, and he got her pregnant before he died at the Trident fighting for, I think, was he fighting for Robert? Or, no, I think he was fighting for the Mad King. Yeah, no, he had to be fighting for the Mad King, of course. So, yeah, Rhaegar died at the Trident uh, defending the Mad King. So, and he was the he was the heir. So he sends Lyanna to the Tower of Joy, protected by his king's guard and Sir Arthur Dane. Ned rolls up with his boys and he hears screams from the tower. He has to fight his way up into the tower. And we see a scene very much like the one we saw with Emma in episode one here in House of the Dragon. Lyanna's like laid up on the bed. And this this begs the question: was Lyanna cut open too? That is interesting. Because we see Lyanna just laying in a pool of blood. Very, very similar to Emma. So that does beg the question, was John a C-section? That's interesting, right? Man, I didn't even think about that until now. But Lyanna dies in childbirth, but not before she gives uh, she gives birth or maybe there is an uh, emergency C-section to John. It's never been in question up until this point, actually, which is so interesting. Oh, my God. But, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the show or read the books, um, or I, I think see the show because they... they reveal it in the show they don't re re reveal it in the books explicitly but um john is the son of rhaegar targaryen and is given the name aegon targaryen I, I think he's like aegon the fourth or the fifth i forget but from what we can assume liana told ned about aegon's dream so the last person that knew about aegon's dream was ned ned stark so you would think yeah i mean you would think rhaegar would have told liana about the dream in case he died at the Trident. So she could have told Ned the same dream. She could have told Ned the same dream that Viserys just told Rhaenyra here down in the crypts. So one day, when Jon gets older, Ned would tell him the truth. But Ned was executed. So did the, did the dream die with Ned? I don't know. I mean, there's so much we can speculate. And I'm just going on a tangent here at this point. But yeah, man, I mean, that, that wraps episode one right? Hell of a start. Hell of a start. So much to cover. They, they really packed a lot into this, into this one episode. They did a really good job at setting the tone for what's to come. Now, I did not watch the In the Coming Weeks episode. I won't be watching that one or, you know, I won't be watching the on the next episode promos after each episode. But with episode one, I felt, I felt compelled to uh, give you guys as deep of a dive as I could to provide some context to to what we saw, especially if you're casual, casual watcher, you're not a book reader. And, uh, and you know, 
to provide context to what we may see moving forward over the next 10 weeks and, and put some like theories into your mind to like ruminate on. But listen, if you dug this episode recap, I humbly ask your liege, drop a five-star review and rating. You know, it helps the podcast reach a bigger audience. My goal is to crack that TV and film top 200 list on Apple Podcasts. And I think we can do it within a few weeks, but I can't get there without your help. Um, if you do, again, screenshot that. DM me on Instagram. I'll send you a personal video. Thank you for your review. But that'll do it for me. I'll be back next Wednesday for House of the Dragon episode two. Yes, chef. Heard, chef. Thank you, chef. Later. Later.